Happy New Year, everybody. How, how long is it still acceptable to say Happy New Year? Is there like a, is there a standard for that? Can you say it like a week after? I haven't seen you all since New Year. So I'm just going to say it, right? Happy New Year. I hope, I hope the New Year is off to a good start. Uh, lots of us are thinking about the new uh, reality, 2024, getting used to writing that on things. Um, <clears throat> any New Year's resolutions? Anybody do New Year's resolutions? couple? One? To retire this year. How about that? That's exciting. Anybody else going to retire this year? Yeah? No? Oh, okay. Carmen says I can't do that. Does anybody else make New Year's resolutions? I'm, I'm just curious. You don't have to say what they are, but a few. Yeah, okay. Um, well, lots of people do. And, and I, it's a, kind of an interesting thing. Like, why do we do this as a society? Like, why do we make a big deal about New Year? The, the, you know, just changing the calendar. It's really not much actually changes from December 31st to January 1st. And yet, it's a really big deal. Why? Have you ever wondered that? I think there's like, there's something inside of us that really loves resets. We like to have these reset points where we can kind of, you know, um, reimagine our lives and rethink the things that we are doing. I think it is baked into us, like to, to just what it means to be human, it's baked into us at a deep level that we have this one short, incredibly precious life and we want to make the most of it. Are you with me? Right? I mean, it's just like we feel it. And whether we feel it on a, on a day-to-day basis or not, um, it's, it's in there. Like, wow, life is, is short, and I only get one shot at it, and it's so precious. So how do I make the most of it? And so we have these, like, regular reset points, like New Year, to just kind of examine, like, how's it, how's it going? And so most of the time, like, New Year's resolutions or in moments like this, when we're at a reset point, what we think about, we ask questions like, okay, as I look ahead to the next year, what do I want to do? Or maybe you ask questions like, what do I want to accomplish? If you're a part of an organization that sets goals, right? You, okay, like, what do I want to accomplish? What hills do we want to take? What's on the horizon? And those are great questions. In fact, if you don't ask these kinds of questions, I encourage you to. These are really good. They're accomplishment questions. Is there anything wrong with accomplishment questions? Like, no, I, they're, they're really good. Um, I would take achievement, or excuse me, achievement questions. They're, I would take achievement over apathy any day of the week. If you give me the choice between being driven or drifting, dr- give me being driven any time. I, I, love, I love that. I love like goal setting and pressing forward. And so these questions aren't bad. And maybe you're asking these kinds of questions, and yet there is a better question. There are better types of questions to ask than achievement questions. Because why? Well, the world is full of people who achieve at a very high level who are miserable. Do you feel that? Either they are miserable or they tend to make the people around them miserable. Because, like, for folks who are just driven toward achievement, the people around them can start to feel like, well, they're just tools to help me get toward the goal I want to get to. And so these are good questions, but there is a better question. And the better question, I think, for us to ask at a time like this, in a reset moment like this, is who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? What kind of person do you want to be? You ask these questions? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? These aren't achievement questions. These are formation questions. This is like 
I think it gets to the heart of, of what the scriptures call out of us. And, and human beings, like you are amazing. The way God designed you is amazing because you are made to grow. You are made to change. You are being formed. Carmen and I celebrated our 20th anniversary on December 27th. And one of the things we did uh, is we watched our wedding video. We, it was like, we're old enough, it was 2003, that we had to like, it was, it was on an actual VHS tape. Do you guys know what VHS tapes are? A little tape and you wind it. So we had to borrow a VCR from, a VCR is where you stick the VHS tape. And, and we don't, we should. We should totally make it digital. But yeah, you got to like, their kids are like, you got to like rewind like that? Are you kidding me? Um, and so we end up watching this and it was the most, we had never watched it that we could remember in 20 years. And we couldn't recognize ourselves. Is this strange? I mean, like I, I said, like Carmen looks pretty much the same. I look like all 20 years went to me. But um, we listened to each other talk when we shared our vows and things, and we're like, I don't even recognize your voice. Like we're different. We're like so different, even down to the way we speak, than we were 20 years ago. You were made to change, and you're growing, and you are being formed today. Through the decisions you make, through the habits of your life, you are being formed. And so the only question is, like, who are you becoming? What kind of person do you want to become? Who are you being formed into? And so you can think about, you know, none of us are promised long life. We're just not. There are no guarantees for that. But if you can think about yourself in five years, who do you want to be? What are your values? What do you care about? What kind of person do you want to become? And I, I did this thought experiment over the past week. And so I'm like, you know, I want, to be, I want to be a kind. I want to be known as somebody who is kind. Like who just moves toward others in the kindness of Jesus. I want to be somebody who is wise. Who, who knows how to do the right things at the right time for the right reasons. I, I want to be somebody generous. Who, who lives with this open-handed posture toward, toward others. I want to be somebody who has a deep trust in God's faithfulness. Right? So you just like start to say, I want that for myself. Right? I, I want it deeply. But then we have to realize I'm not going to become that kind of person by accident. Like we don't drift into becoming the kind of person we want to be. We actually move toward those things with intention and with attention. And so we can start living that way today. So if you think about like, okay, this is who I want to become. This is the kind of person that I think God wants me to become, formed in the way of Jesus. And then I just start living into that. I start living into kindness, and I start living into generosity, and I start trusting God more. And that is what the invitation is for us today, is to live into this kind of person that God wants us to become. So in Ephesians... In Ephesians, it is like, I just want to remind us of a couple things because it is such a beautiful, beautiful um, book in the Bible. And so Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, like the first half of the book is all about who you already are in Christ. This is what God has done for you. And, and you didn't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's just like three chapters of just this fire hose of affirmation. And that's where we spend a couple of months, right? Of just like, remember who you are. Here, here are a couple of highlights. 
that Ephesians 1 to 3 says. You, if you are in Christ, you've just received his grace. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are made alive. You are God's handiwork. You are like a living stone that is being built into a temple where God's spirit dwells by his spirit. Just like on and on and on, Paul is just like affirming the church, like this is who you are in Christ. And in Ephesians 1 to 3, there is not one ethical command. There's not one time where Paul says, now do something else, be better, right? It's just like, receive this grace of who you are. Do you feel that? So that's how he begins. The first half of the book is that way, and then there's a pivot point. Now look in your Bibles at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 1 is a pivot point. And it's like this door, if you imagine a door that like swings on the hinges, this is the hinge point of the book. And you can find this throughout the rest of the New Testament. Like basically, I mean, just real quickly, the book of Romans is 11 chapters of what God has done. And then chapter 12, verse 1 is like, okay, so now therefore, live differently. Like let your minds be renewed in, in the truth of who God is. And this is the hinge point, Ephesians 4.1. The Apostle Paul speaks to us and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, remember he's in a jail cell, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In light of everything God has done, in light of who you already are in Christ, of all that is true because of Jesus, Paul's like, brothers and sisters, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And I love the word urge. Um, in, in Greek, it's the word parakaleo. You want to say that? Parakaleo, and it's, it's made up of, of like two words, uh, para, which, which means to come alongside, right? We, we still use that in English, or like if you work as a para in the school, it's like somebody who comes alongside and is supportive of students, right? Para, and then kaleo is like to encourage, to cheer you on, to like urge you forward. This is what Paul does. He's like, hey, I'm in prison. Like we're in this together. God is doing his work and he's doing it through us. And so brothers and sisters, I urge you. Parakaleo, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That's the hinge point. Live out of this new identity. And then chapters 4 through 6 are then the practical instructions. Chapters 4 through 6 are ways to live out of this new, this new reality in Christ, the new identity that he has given to us. The, the way that we respond to who we already are in Christ is to live, to bring all of our life into the light of Jesus, every part of it. And so chapters four through six, what we're going to be exploring over the next couple of weeks, I, I'm just going to say, Paul is going to get all up in our business. I mean, sometimes we're like, wait a second, like, you know, we, we live these kind of divided lives where like what I do in my personal life is my personal life and, you know, my freedom and, and like my spiritual life, it's just this segment of my life over here. It's one piece of the pie. And that's just, that way of thinking is foreign to the New Testament. I mean, it's foreign to, to the church, to the way of Jesus. That what we do is we bring all of our life, and Jesus is at the center of all of it, and he's Lord of all of it. So the Apostle Paul, over the next couple of chapters, he's going to talk about the way we talk, our speech. He's going to talk about sex. And, and what does like a, a scripture-formed vision of sexuality look like? Because it's God who created this, after all. What does a Jesus for marriage look like? And family and parenting and the way we work. There is nothing off limits 
to this new identity in Christ. And I want to just say this so we're like, so we're really, really clear. Sometimes when we read these kinds of ethical instructions in the Bible, we can, we read it as like a religious standard to live up to. Wow, okay, that's a standard and I have to like live up to it. And that is not what scripture gives us. It's not this religious moral standard that like, okay, somehow I've got to like live up to that standard. It is a new identity to live into. Do you feel the difference of that? It's an identity that you've already been given in Christ. And now it's like, okay, like live a life worthy of that calling. Live into this new identity. And there, there's a huge, huge difference in how we perceive that. How are we doing? Ready to jump in? All right, so let's look at verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. So the Apostle Paul, he starts and he says this. So I, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Like he's, he's claiming the authority of Jesus to do this. We've all said Jesus is Lord, so the authority of Jesus, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the, and what does the text say? as the Gentiles do. So don't live any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Who are the Gentiles? That's not a word you probably used over the last week. Right? You Gentiles. Don't recommend it. Not a good plan. Any any thoughts? Like, who are are the Gentiles? Us. Okay, yeah. Like, in in the Jewish worldview, there are two groups of people. There are the Jews like part of God's covenant family, descendants of Abraham and Sarah from the Old Testament, from Genesis 12, the Jewish people who like God had chosen to reveal himself to so that the whole world could be blessed through them. And then there's everybody else, the Gentiles. And so the Jews just developed that language to say like, well, you're not a Jew, therefore you are a Gentile. And so um, this is us. Right? This is, we, most of us, I would guess, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that none of us can trace our line all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. So we are Gentiles. And many in the church here that Paul is writing to in the first century, they were Gentiles too. And what does he say to them? Hey, I insist on this, on the authority of Jesus, don't live anymore as the Gentiles do. And we could look at Paul and we could say, but wait, I'm a, I'm a Gentile. What do you mean? Right? I mean, this is my identity. I'm a Gentile. What are you saying? And what Paul is doing is so brilliant. He's saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's not your identity anymore. You're, you're no longer an outsider. You're no longer somebody who's, who's like uh, an, an outsider who has to look in. You are a part of God's covenant family in Christ. He, he's changing their identity. And if we go back to what he says, turn with me just one page to the back in Ephesians 2, verse 15. Because, because this whole thing hangs together. In verse, verse 15, he says this. Uh, his purpose, this is Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. No more Jews, Gentiles, no more insiders, outsiders, but there is now one new humanity, and he made peace in one body, reconciling both of them to God through the cross. The purpose of Jesus, he says, was to create in himself one new humanity, Um, and you are a part of this new humanity. You're no longer a Gentile, is what he's saying. Like You are a part of this new reality that God is doing. And so he looks, and he's like, I insist on it in the Lord. Don't live like you used to live when you didn't know you were a part of the new humanity. Because that's not your identity anymore. 
Don't live out of who you used to be. I love the song we sang, like, I'm not who I once was. I'm so, aren't you glad? Like, you're not who you used to be? You can be glad I'm not who I, I used to be? Um, and, and so he's reframing their identity, and he reframes our identity to say, no, 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 I'm not who I used to be. I am in Christ, and I'm a part of this new humanity, this new way that God is forming people to live in the way of Jesus. So he goes on, verses 18 and 19. He says, like, this is what this old Gentile way of thinking was. He's like, they were darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of them. I'm not saying, like, we used to be just ignorant. We didn't know anything. He's just saying, like, we didn't understand what it meant to live with God, to live in life with God. We just didn't know. And so because of the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Right? So, so he's describing our former way of life. And he's like, okay, you used to have a really hard heart toward God. It, it was like, he uses the word calloused. It's like our hearts used to be calloused toward God. You ever try to play guitar? I know Ben's been learning guitar, right? bass to guitar, and it's painful, right? It, have you ever tried to, to do this? Like, it, it's incredibly painful. I like to think that, like, I have tough fingers, and fingers are not meant to play guitar, right? It's like you have to, like, put super glue on them or something like that because like, you get these really bad blisters until you play it long enough that you can develop these calluses. Like, so, okay, you, they're like these hard spots on the end of your finger that lets you do this. And that's kind of what like happens to our hearts outside of Christ. Is we, like Paul's saying here is like what we do is we turn away from God and we, we do our own thing and we run our own life and we don't listen to those, that little nudge of our conscience. Like every human being has this. It's a gift from God that we have a conscience. We just kind of know deep inside like this is right, this is wrong, don't go down this path. And yet what we do is in our rebellion we we just keep going our own way, turning our backs on God. Everybody does. This is the state of the world. And over time, when we just keep saying no to the conscience within us, it's like our hearts get hardened. Our hearts get calloused. And that was our reality. And, and so we, he says we lose all sensitivity. We're no longer sensitive to the nudges of God's spirit bringing conviction. And then he says something fascinating. So what happens is we give ourselves over to sensuality, and we indulge in every kind of impurity with an endless thirst for more. Anybody relate to this? Like the word greed there at the end, um, they're full of greed, isn't like, well, this is like an aside thing. It's like, well, they're on top of that, they're greedy too. It's saying, you know what happens when we do this? Like when, we, when our hearts get hard toward God and we, we turn aside and we go our own way, um, all of a sudden, we lose sensitivity to what's morally right, morally wrong, and so we just give ourselves over to it, and we just start pursuing like pleasure in any way we can get it, and we have this endless thirst for more. We're gr constantly greedy because you know what? It doesn't actually satisfy us. Does that resonate with anybody? Like that we can spend our whole lives chasing something, chasing the next whatever it is. Whatever way we try to numb that pain, the next hit, the next fix, the next click, the next partner, the next swipe of a credit card, like we just chase it and it's never enough. 
There's an endless need for more. We're just like this greed comes out of it. And we get what we want, but we find that it's never enough. We're actually, when we live that way, we're actually like on this treadmill. And if you can imagine, like we're on the treadmill, but the treadmill doesn't just stay at the nice same speed. The treadmill actually just keeps speeding up. Because like we, what, what I had yesterday doesn't like do it for me anymore, so I need a little bit more, a little bit faster. And the sp- treadmill starts like speeding up, and pretty soon, like we're just like struggling to keep up with life, and life becomes unmanageable, and it's like those fail videos, right? When the New Year's resolution, go to the gym, and you get spit off the back of the treadmill. I don't watch those, but Carmen does. It's a bad habit she has. So just pray for the Lord's conviction. No, I'm just totally joking. Um, you know, don't believe me. Don't believe me. But like, right, that's what life can be. It's just like, oh, I can't keep up, and I'm, I'm winded, and I'm exhausted, and all of a sudden, boom, I crash. This is the way of life. Paul says, like, this is our experience. We were darkened in our understandings. We didn't know what God was like. We, we didn't know that we were on this treadmill headed for a crash. We're separated from life with God, and we have calloused hearts that aren't sensitive to anything. We can't even feel the goodness of life anymore. We know what this is like. And then, it's so beautiful, verses 21 and 22, he says, but that, however, but that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That's not who you are anymore. That's not your reality. That's not your identity. That's not your destiny. That's not the decision you have to make. That Jesus has opened our eyes to the way of life. That we're not dark and separated and callous, but we're enlightened and connected and responsive to his spirit at work in us. That's not the way of life that you were called to anymore. Verses 22 to 24. You were taught... Brothers and sisters, like in the church, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Notice what he says, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off that old self that just like feeds you lies, that says, well, this next thing is going to satisfy you. And that next, um, that next thing that you're chasing, that's the one that's going to do it. it. Like we see the truth now that those desi- desires are deceitful, that they're not speaking truth to us. Put that off and be made new in the attitude of your mind. And to put on this new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, this is so good. This is so powerful. And this truth like, will set us free. He, he's so brilliant. The Apostle Paul, right, um, under the inspiration of the Spirit, like, just gives us this truth. It's like, so what do we do? Like, what... What do we do? He says this, like, put off the old self and put on the new self. You imagine, he's, like, he's almost talking like clothing. Right? Anybody have clothes in their closet that they've been saving since, like, 1990? And they think, like, someday I'm going to wear this again. Right? Am I the only one? Like, I'll get there again. Um, or, or maybe you have the, these clothes that, like, you know, they, they shrunk um, they just, you know, it, I used to fit in that, but it shrunk. Um, or, or just stuff that, like, you wouldn't wear that anymore. Like, right, that, I wore that when I was 15. I, I wouldn't wear that any, anymore. And it's like, that's the idea of, like, okay, it's time to put that off. Don't wear that anymore. It doesn't fit you anymore. Because it's not who you are. You've changed. You're, you're different than who you used to be. Put that off, and then choose to put on the new 
self, your new identity, the new reality of who you are created in Christ. Do you feel this? Put off the old and put on the new. And I love this so much. Um, I love this so much because, like, well, a, a couple of things. Like, the word self, he's like, put off your old self, put on your new self. If you're reading this in your Bible, your translation, anybody have a different word for self in their translation? If you do, you can shout it out. It's okay if you don't. Anybody? Sorry, what? Former way of life. Great, yeah. So the, the word, some, some old translations have the word man or human. Take off the old man, put on the new man or, or human being. And that's actually closer to what this word means. The word for self here is anthropos. Um, it sounds like the word anthropology or uh, whatever, but it's like it's a human being. It's like there's, a, there's an old human being that, okay, that's not who we are anymore. That's not the way we want to live. We're going to put off that old human being, and we're going to put on the new human being. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.15? What is God's purpose? Is to create in himself one new humanity. So put on the new humanity. Like, put it on. This is who you are. This is where you belong. Don't live out of those old ways any longer and live into the new reality. Put on this new human being of, of like, your new identity of what God has done for you in Christ. And this is so important because, like, sometimes we operate with this idea that, like, okay, God is just going to do his work in me. And he's going to do it all for me, which he does. He does the work that we cannot do. He does all the heavy lifting. And yet, it's not like he just zaps us and makes us different. He actually loves us enough that he chooses to use our freedom to choose him. Is that beautiful? Like he partners with human beings and he's like, you get to choose to actually put off the old self and to put on the new self. You have work to do in this. That you and I have, have this partnership with God to become the, the version of us that he has, has created us to be. And he does all the heavy lifting. It's, it's his life, death, and resurrection that makes it possible. It is his spirit that, that does the work. And yet we choose to actually step in line with his Holy Spirit. So you have work to do. I have work to do in this. We have partnership with God. And I think that's, I think that's really beautiful. That he doesn't override our will or just zap us. But he partners with us. And I love this too. That when Paul, he talks about like put off the old, put on the new. He doesn't just say, hey, you know that bad stuff you used to do? Stop it. He doesn't say that. As parents, you ever do that to your kids? Like, don't do that anymore. Like, stop it. Like how, and sometimes we feel like that's what church is. It's just like, well, okay, here's the rules. Like, just don't do this bad stuff any, any longer. And Paul does not do that. He says, like, hey, there's this former way of life. Yeah, don't do that anymore. That's not who you are. It doesn't fit you anymore. But do this instead. And put your energy into this. But have you ever stopped a bad habit only to start a slightly less bad habit? Have you ever done this? Right? He's like, oh, okay, at least I'm not, I'm not doing that thing anymore. But then I'm like, okay, I, why do we do that? It's like we need a replacement for the thing that we're stopping. Because you can't just stop something without replacing with something else. And if we're not intentional about it, we'll just replace it 
with, with another maybe slightly less bad habit. And so Paul's like, he knows this about us. And so he's like, okay, don't do those things any longer. Instead, do this. Put on this new identity, new humanity, created in Christ to be like him. How's that? Do you feel that? So then he just gives us this, this laundry list. Now, we're going to like... We're going to actually spend time unpacking this specific passage next week, but I want you to feel it. I want you to feel the kind of stuff he says. Verses 25 to 32, he says this, So therefore, therefore, so each of you, you put off falsehood and then speak truthfully to your neighbor. So stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to other people. Does anybody ever stretch the truth to make themselves seem just a little bit better than they really are? You ever like wasting time on social media or something or on your phone and then like somebody like drives in you're like oh don't know yeah I was just like doing my taxes or something right it's just like these little little deceit no big deal but we just kind of like we're not fully honest about what we're doing and who we are it's like okay so don't do that any longer but speak the truth live in the truth put off the old Put on the new, because you're all members of one body. And then he says, so in your anger, do not sin, right? Don't let anger lead you down this road that's going to lead to, like, broken relationships and pain. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. So he's basically like, let your anger move you toward reconciliation, toward healed relationships. Don't give room for the evil one, for the enemy. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So you could just say that, hey, stealing's bad. Don't do it any longer. And he's like, okay, this is not who you are anymore, this kind of selfish way of being where you just like, you take what other people own to make yourself like have what you feel like you need. Don't do that any longer, but instead, put what's put on the new self. And the new self is this, work, like do something with your hands so that you can have something to share with those in need. Be generous, right? It's, it's like, this beautiful change of life. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that you may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and instead be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. How are we doing? Do you feel the old, new, Invitation here? Does this feel heavy to anybody? I mean, because it can be. And, and this old, putting off the old and putting on the new, this is a daily choice. In fact, it's a, like a, it's a moment by moment choice. <sighs> Am I going to choose to put that old sweater back on and, and like say and do the things I used to do? Or am I going to live out of my, my new identity? And I need to be honest to say, sometimes I don't choose very well. Right? I mean, like, sometimes I make choices that are just like, oh, this is not, this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. I'm making these choices that, that are things that maybe I, I used to be, the way of life I used to be. And why do we do that? Like, why in the world do we do that? And how do we deal with this when we do? So I want to just end with a couple ways to put this into practice. When you hear like these ethical commands, like today and over these next couple of weeks, I, I want to encourage you to treat yourself with curiosity and compassion. I have a spiritual director. I meet with a spiritual director every month, and it's, just, it's so helpful for me 
um, to just have somebody who's a companion, who comes alongside of me to encourage me, urge me forward. And, and often my spiritual director would say, like, okay, when I'm just like, man, I, I blew it this last week or whatever it was. It's like, I don't know where that came from. I said that thing I shouldn't have said or whatever it was. Say, like, okay, curiosity and compassion. Why did you do that? Where do you think that came from? Like, what were the motivations? And you just like, okay, curiosity. You ask all kinds of questions around it. Why, why did I do that thing? Why was I tempted and gave in? Well, I was duped by this deceitful desire. Whatever it is. And then there's compassion. Compassion says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. Right? Jesus did not come into the world to condemn us, but to save us. Um, and we can start to condemn ourselves, like, I'm so stupid, I, I, I'm a terrible person, it's no use, like, I'm ready to give up, like, we can just, like, you know, sort of li- listen to those lies. And, and there's no condemnation, it's compassion to say, okay, Lord, like, I, I blew it, I'm, I'm going to speak the truth, I, was, I need to be honest about the mistakes that I've made, but you didn't come to condemn me, but to save me, and I choose to put that old thing off, I'm not going to keep it on. I'm going to put it off, and I'm going to step into my new identity, my new way of being, with your help and by your grace, I'm going to live into that. You see, the difference between the old and the new is we used to just keep going down that road. And so sometimes we, like, put that old sweater back on. I'm mixing metaphors here a little bit. But the moment you realize, oh, I put the sweater back on, you take it off as quickly as you can. Like, oh, okay, like compassion, curiosity, compassion. Take the sweater back off, and we put our new identity back on. How, how are we doing with this? Treat yourself with curiosity and compassion because that's what, that's what Jesus, he has compassion for you. Uh, secondly, treat others with curiosity and compassion. Huh, like they said that thing, man, that was really hurtful. Or I wonder, they did that and like that didn't feel so good. Or man, I see this person making these mistakes that like, whoa, they're blowing it. Like condemnation is never the key. It's never the answer. But curiosity, I wonder, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what they're feeling. I wonder what they're struggling through. And compassion, moving toward another person um, with care to help them live into their new identity. Third, a way to practice this is, to, is just pray it. Like make the daily choice to pray your new identity. Um, so I just like very simply, I just kind of wrote this prayer this week. I can, I can send it to you if you want. Next slide. Um, and and this, this can be a prayer that can help you with this process. God, thank you that I am not who I used to be. You saved me, blessed me, showed me mercy, brought me close, chose me, died for me, and set me free from slavery to sin and death. Help me put off anything and everything that belongs to my old self. And help me live into the the life you have given me. With your help, I choose to put on the new self you created me to be. Renew my mind. Fill me with your spirit and make my heart soft and responsive to you. I pray... You just, like, pray that and put it in your own words. Like, pray Ephesians 4, and I promise you, like, God will answer these prayers. Like, he will help you, and he will come alongside of you. And then lastly, share it, right? Share this new identity with other people because God's purpose wasn't to create new humans. It was to create a new humanity. It sounded a lot like manatee, not like, never mind. Florida on the brain. His purpose is to create a new humanity. And, and so look around the room. In this process of putting off the old and putting on the new, you're not alone. You're not alone. You might feel like you're the only one who puts that old sweater back on, but you're not. 
And so like we are part of this new humanity. We're being formed into these new people where God's spirit lives within us. We are in this thing together. So find mature people around you who, who you can trust to lean on and to, to listen to you and to help you. Maybe you, you choose somebody who's a little further down the journey than you are. And just like, wow, I'm, I'm struggling with this, and I need some help. Like, how have you dealt with this thing in your life? And we lean into that new humanity because we were not meant to do this alone. Find someone, um, uh, find someone who is going to urge you to live out of your new identity in Christ. Um, and I want to end with one story. In 2011, um, I... I made the decision. I was inspired by my brother-in-law, Arlen, to run a marathon. And I've never been a runner. It was not my identity. I was, um, yeah, I was, in, I threw shot put in discus in high school, and I always made fun of the runners, because, like, while they're running, I'm eating pizza after all my events are done. And so my identity was like, oh, I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a thrower. I don't, I don't do, I'm very dangerous over short distances. And, and uh, that was a Lord of the Rings quote, if nobody got that. And... So I, like, I started running, and I had to, like, shift into this new identity of, like, oh, okay, I can, I can run, and I can, I can run a long way. And it took me a long time to do this. And so Carmen's brother, Arlen, who's, like, um, eight years older than me, he, he inspired me to, to do this. I'm like, okay, I'm, I want to do this. I want to become a runner. And so we chose um, a, a marathon, because why wouldn't you, right? It's like, Went from running, like, never running over six miles to running 26.2 miles. And not only did we choose a marathon, we chose a trail marathon. So in Kansas, everybody's like, Kansas flat as a pancake. That is wrong. It is not. This 26.2 miles um, north of Hutchinson, Kansas, where we lived, had about 4,000 feet of elevation change over the course of 26 miles. And not only that, it had five water crossings. One was ankle deep, one was waist deep, and three of them were chest deep. And so you'd come out of the water and you would step into like 12 inches of sand, like just like orange sand. It was awesome. It was fantastic. And so that's what we chose. And, and the, uh, keep, uh, back, 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 one more. So the, um, yeah, so there's Arlen and me. This is at the beginning of the race. You can tell by how happy we look. And the problem was we did all of our training through the winter. The race is the first weekend in April. And so I did all my training through the winter. And in fact, I had to the, put like, um, like stuff in my water to keep it from freezing because it was so cold. And so you kind of figure out like, okay, this is how much water I need, how much nutrition I need, when it's like 25 degrees outside and you're running. The day of the race, first Saturday in April in Kansas, it, the high temperature was 80 degrees. And I did not adjust how much I was drinking until about 15 miles into the race. And we're doing great. Like 15 miles into the race, feeling good, on pace, everything's great. And then you've heard the phrase hitting the wall right? Hitting the wall. Like, it was a definite wall. I, all of a sudden, I realized, I'm not sweating anymore. That's a problem. And I realized, like, I am severely dehydrated. And I got mile 17, and I was just, like, I had no energy left. And Arlen had been running for a long time. He was in much better shape than me. He's like, much better shape than me. And, and I just, like, man, I can't go. I just gotta, I gotta walk. And so here, my brother-in-law, who, who could have just, like, he could have taken off and finish the race in another, like, you know, hour or so. And he's like, I was like, and I gave him permission. I'm like, Arlen, just, just go, man. Just, like, run your race. And he's like, no, like, we're in this together. And he just, like, he stayed 
right there beside me. And so for probably about two miles, I'm walking. Like, I cannot get myself to do anything more. And he's just, like, walking alongside of me. He's like, all right, we got this. Like, just keep drinking water. Like, it'll come back. And for about two miles, like, people are passing us. I got passed by a 60-year-old man who was on his first lap of a 50-mile race, right? He was doing two laps. It's like, oh, man, so humbling. But good for you, buddy. And, and here's Arlen. He's just like, he's with me the whole time. And about mile 19, mile 20, like my, my water started to catch back up and my energy started to come back and we started to run a little bit more. And this is our, our last water crossing about a mile from the finish line. And, and I think about like the church and what it means to be the church to have people in our corner, like in this room, in this space, in this spiritual family, like that maybe, maybe, like maybe you're ready to give up because maybe like you just keep putting on the old self and you just like, you're stuck. And that song we sang today of like, I will not give in to sin or to shame. And maybe you came today thinking, I'm like, I'm already giving in. Because like, what, what's the use? Like, it's just, it's, I'm too far gone, and I'll never change. And the enemy is just feeding you all those lies, and you hear your brothers and sisters around you singing that song, I will not give in to sin or to shame because there is victory in Christ. And you just need to hear that today. Like, you need to receive it. And, and when you don't have strength to keep going on the journey, you have people around you who are going to lean into you, who are going to walk with you, and who are going to urge you to live this life that God has called you to live in Christ. This is what we are called to do for each other. So worship team is going to come back up, and I want to pray for us. God, this life that you have invited us into, that you have provided for us, that costs you everything, and it costs you your life. And we are so dependent on you. And God, you've invited us to live out of this new humanity. And so you know what we need today. Every, every single one of us, God, you know what our struggles are, our fears, our insecurities, our shame. You know what the old self is that just keeps pulling us back. And you know what you've called us to, this new reality, new identity. So Lord Jesus, you, you are the king of our lives. And we give you authority to speak into anything inside of us that, that is not who you created us to be. God, we ask that you would do your work, that you would, you would partner with us through the power of your Holy Spirit to put off the old and to put on the new. And God, would you, would you help us to be a community of, of advocates for each other, that we would urge each other, come alongside of each other, carry each other when we, we can't, we don't have energy for ourselves. Would you teach us, God, how to do that for one another? So even as we sing these songs, Lord Jesus, come and make your presence known to us. Do your work in us as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name.